That was the exquisite opening of On Hearing the First Cuckoo in Spring by Frederick Delius, one of the most elusive of British composers. But the deeper one delves into his life, his working methods, the more one understands exactly what he's trying to achieve. Delius was born in 1863 in Bradford. His father had a very successful business and was keen for Frederick to follow him into this business. Frederick had other ideas. Music was a strong passion for him and the, the business side of things just simply didn't chime with him. Quite early in his life, he suggested to his father that he would like to be an orange grower, that he would like to go to Florida and work in an orange grove. His father was delighted at this, thinking this would take him away from the world of music. Far from it. Delius enjoyed the solitude that he found in this orange grove. He also enjoyed the experience of hearing the black workers in the orange grove singing, improvising, singing Negro spirituals. This was very influential on Delius in later life. He also met an American organist called Thomas Ward, who spent a lot of time with Delius. Delius, in his later life, said that the most significant music lessons of his life were the ones that Thomas Ward gave him in that orange grove in Florida. He did manage to spend some time undertaking an academic training in Leipzig. He convinced his father that this was the right course to take. There he heard the music of Richard Strauss, Richard Wagner, and of course he became a great friend of Grieg. Delius settled in a, a, a village in France, Gresseau-Loigne, which was a painter's center. There were many artists there, including, of course, his wife. She herself owned many pictures of uh, Munch. There's an argument to be had, maybe, to suggest that the influence of these painters can be seen very clearly in the music that Delius created. He's very keen to show music in different lights, in different shades, in different colors. You can almost sense the brushstrokes in the music of Frederick Delius. I mentioned Grieg as a very important influence on Delius, both as a very close friend and a musician. Cuckoo is based on a Norwegian folk song which Grieg collected and set for piano. Let's hear that now played by Elizabeth Burley.
That was In Ola Valley, played by Elizabeth Burley. You may have noticed the 20 bars or so of Delius that we played at the top of the program made no reference whatsoever to that folk song. It's only after 20 or so bars that Delius actually quotes from the folk song. He takes the, the weak, strong rhythm, which becomes later very important in the cuckoo motive, but, and he seems to incorporate the tune from the folk song seamlessly into his own world. many essential fingerprints of Delius that we hear in this piece, which he takes from, from the Greek arrangement of Ola Valley. The piano actually begins with a low A and E, a fifth in the bass, and Delius takes this idea up. Let's hear that in the cellos and basses. And we'll add the melody to that. And the syncopation, which you can't feel there without the melodic beat going on above it. Syncopations blur the bar lines, creating this wonderful coloristic effect. One of my favourite features of this work is the sparing but very telling woodwind writing. One hears at the, at the very outset uh, the strings create this wonderful halo of sound which envelops the, the woodwind writing. And in bar two we hear an exquisite oboe melody, which if you were hearing the piece for the first time you'd think, oh that's wonderful, I wonder what the composer would do with that later. But of course in typical Delia's fashion, he discards that music. He uses it only once. It's a very significant feature of, of the way Delius creates things. He creates a beautiful effect, takes it away. If he doesn't find a way of taking it forward and keeping the beauty, he'll just discard it. So let's just hear the, the opening from the woodwinds. particularly love that inverted cuckoo at the end there, don't you? And now we'll hear that with the halo of the strings. A particular favourite feature for me is the way Delius gradually introduces the cuckoo. 
In this particular section, we hear the clarinet making a very, very silly mistake. Instead of singing cuckoo, he sings cuckoo. His woodwind colleagues seem to say to him, no, no, don't be so silly. It's weak, strong, not strong, weak. It's weak, strong, weak, strong. And the oboe coaxes the clarinet, the cuckoo, to reappear and sing his beautiful song. Did you hear that insistent cuckoo? Good. Now we'll play the whole piece. And it really is a, a mini masterpiece, which incorporates many of the, the things I've been talking about to create a, a really beautiful rural idyll, particularly its own. There's no other piece quite like this in all the repertoire.
The Walk to the Paradise Garden was written as scene change music between scenes five and six of the opera of Village Romeo and Juliet. It was needed for practical reasons to change, change the set, change the scenery. The opera, Village Romeo and Juliet, he wrote six operas, is a story of love and life and death amongst adolescents. The ancestor for this, this piece, if you like, is Wagner's opera, Tristan and Isolde. That the lovers prefer death to a life in a world which confronts them with seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Pretty miserable sort of thought, really, but that's what it's about. Same with Tristan. In this case, the two lovers, Vreli and Sali, are the children of two feuding farmers who can't agree on the ownership of a little stretch of land. The feud is completely overwhelming and insoluble, and therefore the two lovers' relationship is untenable and unsustainable. And as Sali sings when the two have got to the Paradise Garden, which, by the way, is not a garden at all. It's a hostelry. It's an inn. Of course, metaphorically, it's paradise can be found in hostelries and inns. As Sali sings, let us die together to be happy one short moment and then to die were not that eternal joy. Delius chooses for the lovers to end their lives by getting into a boat. They float into the middle of, of the river recline on the marital bed of straw. The boat floats downstream, and as, as it does so, they take out the plug in the bottom of the boat. And as it floats downstream, it sinks, and they die. Delius himself lived in a French village with just such a river floating at the bottom of his garden. His music is ideally suited to this kind of pleasure-above-all expression. Delius, as I've mentioned, was an instinctive, painterly composer, but here he seems also to be acutely aware of making the music actually develop. As we'll hear, he makes the maximum use of themes, while at the same time producing a piece of highly expressive, passionate, emotional music. He does high passion very well, Delius. It's not difficult to imagine the, the two taking their pleasure in each other during this sensuous and emotional piece. It, it didn't really interest him, this thing of counterpoint and motivic development. But in a sense, he contradicts himself in this piece because it is very, very integrated, as I'll try and uh, explain a little bit. There's a very clear key structure. He had to get from E-flat major, a key of three flats, a very mellow key, to the bright key of B major, five sharps. The opening music of the piece... The two-bar figure is uh, particularly notable for its use of the pentatonic mode. La, 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 la. These five notes. Let's just hear the first four bars. That's the opening pentatonic motif. What happens next? He introduces string offbeat chords, which accompany a falling tune in the cellos and, and the basses, which again is based entirely on those same five notes. Again, typical of Delius, as we heard at the beginning of the cuckoo, we hear some very distinctive music, music that could be taken further. 
But this syncopation and the falling motif in the, in the basses, again, he, he discards it. It never occurs again. About 10 bars into the piece, there's a significant melody on the oboe and the cor anglais, which again become later very important. I'll hope to explain that in a little bit. Let's just hear the whole of the introduction. At the end there, the last four or five bars, we heard the main motif of the piece, which Delius seamlessly introduces. Again, it's pentatonic. Again, it's based on those five notes. Transposed to a different, different pitch, but still the same sequence of five notes. It's rhythmically more alive. It's a striving sort of questing figure. And in this guise, it becomes like the, the energizing theme of the whole of this walk to the Paradise Garden like a refrain to which Delius keeps returning. So let's hear a few more expressions of that rising triplet motive. Shortly after that section, we hear the oboe theme I mentioned earlier from bar 10. Let's just hear Richard play that. What Delius does at this climax is he augments the length of the notes there of the oboe melody, increases the duration of the notes, and puts that on the upper strings.
Delius rounds off this climax with the typical sliding, shifting harmonies, which take us from C major into our first sharp key, the key of one sharp, G major. Let's hear this whole tutti. Then he returns to the surging, questing triplet figure. His great skill is in the subtle shadings, keeping us as listeners always guessing which way he'll take his line for a walk. He's never indulging in dry counterpoint to spin things out. Every nuance has to have an emotional and expressive purpose. This is what we hear next. Delia sounds unlike any other composer. We've heard how resourceful he is in his use of colour, in subtle changing of themes and motives. But there are also things which seem to crop up across different pieces of music. And I'm sure I won't be alone in, in hearing in the Walk to the Paradise Garden a pre-echo of the cuckoo. We're now approaching the climax of the walk, the emotional center in that glorious bright key of B major. This is the most ecstatic and resounding version of the rising quaver triplet figure that we've heard. You recall we started in the calm of E flat major and through the piece we've traveled through the tonal spectrum 
quite some distance, actually, and he's got us to this glorious B major. Let's hear the, the climax of, of the Walk to the Paradise Garden. beautiful B major again to end, but it doesn't settle and sit happily in, in B major. There are lots of strange harmonies going on. There's even a chord of F major in there, would you believe? I'm sure you would. Does this create some kind of feeling that uh, although the lovers are moving to what they think is a paradise, it's actually not a very happy or fulfilling paradise? All the themes have been striving, moving upwards, pushing forwards towards this point. When we get here, the melodic material changes character and starts to actually fall back, subside, but maintaining its pentatonic five-note character. Let's just hear the oboe and cor anglais play one of these early manifestations of this descending melodic line. Now we'll hear the oboe and flutes play the final falling pentatonic figure. quite a short piece. It's not a ramble. It's very tautly constructed, a very strong sense of emotional direction. Let's play you now the whole of the walk to the Paradise Garden. <laughs> 